0: Hello, Osmers. It's me. It's your old buddy, Steve Simonson, and we're gonna do a little uh, blast from the past called Mentor Monday. And the principle of this when this uh, will be released is on a Monday. So uh, that makes me the mentor, right? Monday's already covered. that makes me the mentor. Now, uh, I have no qualifications to be a mentor, so feel free to ignore all of this advice. And as I enjoy saying, Free advice is uh, certainly what's being you know, given here. You may feel free to ignore it as well. But what I'm gonna share is about how do you negotiate and how do you get into the details of negotiation with suppliers, particularly Asia-based suppliers and um, even more particularly, probably largely China-based suppliers. Now, I will say that most of these strategies apply globally to any supplier but because so many of us use the majority if not 100% china based suppliers these are oriented towards some of the experiences that we've had with um, dealing with factories in china for you know oh, two decades i started going to china two decades ago and my you know experience of buying there and kind of building relationships has been everything from the the coolest things ever um you know, sure glad I did it to, you know, we started out awesome and ended up in uh, a nightmare. So my point being that my failures or my mistakes or even where we didn't make the mistake, we just kind of got screwed. All of those are experiences and the cumulative effect is that they can benefit you if I share some of the the tried and true lessons that came out of those um, experiences. Now, one just quick note, Again, although this focus on China, it doesn't mean that they don't work in other uh, parts of the world. So, you know, we're doing um, a fair amount of movement into Vietnam, as we have done for the last four or five years. We're doing a reasonable amount into Malaysia and other Southeast Asian uh, countries. Asian is kind of the um, the block of countries that make up Southeast Asia, not including China. Uh, all of these will work in those countries as well because they are tried and true uh, standards of negotiation. So I was in a mastermind, the EmpoweryMastermind.com, dot uh, free mastermind that Empowery runs once a month, hosted by uh, the great Troy Romelski. And during that uh, conversation, we got into, "Hey, what's the playbook for negotiating?" And so I'm not going to. This is not a masterclass setting. This is a. Uh, Steve share some of the highlight setting. Uh, if there's enough demand, we can do a master class where we literally show you, you know the flow chart of uh, start here, when they do this, do that, you know, that whole thing. But that there's there's a lot of kind of document production and and a lot of things that that go with that that make it into an actual job for me. And since this is a volunteer effort, I'm going to do the broad strokes for you uh, here today. So let's now jump ahead and say, we're buying in China and so case study number one is, uh, or use case, however you want to think of it. We're buying in China, we've got the chance to now uh, purchase product from a supplier. And this is like, let's say it's the first item, you know, first time you're buying from them. There are several points of negotiation that you will most commonly think about. Obviously the price comes to mind, right? You're probably not going to get too deep in the conversation if you don't feel that their price is market worthy. And so I'm, I'm not including all of the pre-discovery and sourcing and, and processes that you would go through. You can go watch the, some of the sourcing videos I've made. Let's assume that you've made the decision to go with these guys because you believe their price is uh, reasonable in the market conditions that you have already um, kind of researched. Now the question is, you know, what do you do to um, make sure that you're setting yourself up um, for future success? One is you take a note of the currency um, exchange rate. So on your pricing agreement, you should note today's FX rate. So if today's the, the day of the pricing agreement, note the FX rate. And if it changes in a substantial way, let's say by more than 5%, then I want you to be... Uh, forthright about that change, whether it's to your benefit or otherwise, and, and your your factory should feel the same way. If it's to their benefit, they're going to make that call. If it's to your benefit, they'll often be very silent or have a a, a whole series of excuses why the FX rate is not, um, even though it changed, they don't want to make a change. We'll talk about that here in a few minutes. So you're making a note of the FX rate, you're agreeing on a price, and then you are, um, starting to now agree on the, the incoterms, by the way, this should have been baked into the price discussion, but you know, is this a price that is X works, right? Is this a price that's FOB uh, essentially freight on board, which means that they have to transport it to a, at their expense, by the way, baked into your price. Um, FOB means they're transporting it to the port and getting that freight on board. And from that point, then it's your responsibility, and Incoterms are really, really important to understand. If you don't understand them, don't agree to them until such time as you understand the point that you are taking responsibility to the point that they um, to the point that you want it shipped. Basically, so as an example, DDP is I take responsibility when you deliver it to my final warehouse. Right? The opposite of that is XWorks, Works, which is you take responsibility from the moment it hits their dock and they say it's done. Now you got to have a truck, you pick it up, you take it to the port, you have it packaged, blah, blah, blah. Um, And so those are the kind of the two extremes. Let's see if I can get my fingers in there. So you got X works at one extreme that is, you know, a factory dock and then DDP is your final destination as the buyer. There are many variations of Incoterms in between. Make sure you know your commercial terms. So, this, this then supposes that you already, again, you have your price, you got your terms, you got your FX rate locked in, and now you place your first order and here you go. Now, let's just fast forward you know a year and a half or two years, and now you, you get the sense that there is a market price difference, or maybe the currency has, has changed like it has in 2022. Chinese currency is way softer against the US dollar. And if you're buying in U.S. dollars and they are basically operating in renminbi, the the Chinese yuan, in China, then you are paying a penalty if you don't get that FX rate adjusted. Now I'm going to make the assumption you didn't have that kind of baked into any sort of upfront agreement. And that means you need to go back and you need to say, listen, you know, here's at the point we bought, here's the FX rate at the point we are now. Here's the FX rate. That's an 8 percent difference. I uh, my price now is 8% lower on my next PO. Now, again, I want to be very, very clear. Uh, Suppliers are, you know, they're in business to make money. I I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not mad at them for that reality, but they will have a whole series of reasons why that's not a good idea. Uh, Labor's gone up, uh, raw materials have gone up, all of these other things. And so it's, don't expect them just to simply roll over and say yes to you. Uh, What this does mean, however, is this is a point of negotiation. And everything in negotiation is about, you know, each party's leverage against the other. So points of leverage can include, you know, how big of the supplier's business are you, right? Are you 1% or are you 10% or are you 50%? Um, in any regard, like how important are you to that supplier? Because the more important you are to them, that means you have some leverage, the less important that you are to them, the less leverage you have, right? So just think about leverage on one of those, um, uh, those legal scales of justice, balancing things, right? The more leverage you have on your side, the more likely it is you can get them to accept, uh, additional things. Now we talked about inco terms, but we didn't talk about credit terms. Uh, Although if you're experienced, you can start with credit terms. Many times you would need to build into credit terms over the the course of time. Now, again, full disclosure, I recommend you start this from the beginning and say, hey, for the first three months, and this is what we call a phased approach. For the first three months, factory, we're going to pay you the 30% down, 70% on shipment. Now, in general, if we're going to do volume with them, I would never start with this. I would start with terms. But if you've never had terms with somebody in China, then this is a good way to build a phased approach. So please understand, if you're experienced and already have credit elsewhere, start with credit when you sign up the new supplier. It's much, much easier to do that than it is to get an existing supplier to adjust their payment terms. So that's a very important point. Getting somebody who's already accustomed to doing business with you to change is harder than getting a new provider to agree to your your, um, let's say, terms and conditions up front that can include everything, for, including the FX I've talked about, including the inco terms I've talked about and credit terms and, 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 whatever whatever those additional terms and conditions may be. So again, in our use case, we jump ahead two years you've been doing business and you're like, hey, the currency's down. And they're like, yeah, but our other costs are up. Now you have to validate that, by the way. Labor is probably up somewhat, but, you know, at a certain point, you have to start going, well, that sounds like a China problem to me, right? If labor is not, it is increasing in Vietnam, but it's still way lower than China. And and this is actually true most of the Asian regions. Um, that would also be true in India. It would also be true in Mexico, that while labor may be increasing, it is not um, China's kind of get out of jail free card to just simply say, yeah, forever, you can uh, just raise prices and call it labor. That's, that's not acceptable. Because there are competitors in these other countries that can deliver the same product um, for potentially lower price. And that's, that's another point of leverage. If you don't have an alternative potential supplier, you lack leverage. In those scales of justice uh, examples I was uh, referring to, if you're single supplier centric, Uh, particularly if they own some sort of patent or if they have some other kind of intellectual property, then you have not much leverage and you kind of have to just go with what they say. But assuming that's not the case, you would be very well advised to go develop alternatives, even if you're not yet ready to make that switch. But having that redundancy is a good idea for a number of reasons, not just for negotiation leverage. Um, And I, I won't go into the details now, but more factories are declaring bankruptcy and And or just disappearing in China, you know, in the last couple of years during the pandemic than ever before. Now, how much of that is pandemic induced and how much of it is their, you know, raw financial performance? Well, frankly, it doesn't matter because they're still out of business. And if you put in a bunch of deposits, they're out of business with your money. Um, In historic sense, this has not been a huge risk, but today and going forward, I think it's a much, much higher risk. So, you know, as you do the your kind of overall analysis of risk in doing business in certain places, you have to not just think of the cash flow being an important factor, but how much risk do you have advancing money and then either not getting the product entirely or getting a product that is way, way off of spec. Whether you catch that in the factory or you catch it post-shipment is almost irrelevant because if you can't sell it, you're kind of screwed. There, there's lots of factors built into this. So, if we, if we dive back into this, this specific negotiation, you're, you're dealing with an existing supplier, so you're already down a piece of leverage. Um, they, even if you're large with them, that adds some leverage to you, but it gives them a sense of we want the status quo. We want that cash. We love cash versus you saying, I need better cash flow. So now we get into the, the subtleties of negotiation. Um, as my buddy Patrick Mayoho referred to in the in the mastermind, and I wholeheartedly agree. You need to find some common ground of benefit that the supplier can get behind. So as an example, what's what's a reason why um, credit is good for the supplier? Well, one reason is this simple idea that, you know what, if you give me credit today, that gives me more cash flow tomorrow. That allows me to do more advertising, allows me to do more marketing because I'm liquid and I can drive more sales you know, into the future. More sales means more volume, and ultimately that is what factories, particularly in China care about. they care about volume. If you could make a a business case and a and kind of a the relating story that expounds on why you having more cash is good for their overall volume going forward, that is a compelling story and I would also you know in the past, I would have just done this in in China in person and tried to. Uh, to talk it through with them, but now you need to do kind of a a short but formal presentation where you you've got some nice you know uh, data on the screen. I would, if it was me, I would ask somebody to help you translate it into uh, both um, you know Mandarin and English. Obviously, you can probably handle the English, but the Mandarin piece have somebody help you with. Where you are focusing on this is why me getting a lower price and me getting longer terms. And me getting this and this and this and this are better for the factory. And by the way, it can't just be you trying to schmooze them and railroad them into a better deal. It fundamentally should be better for the factory. And so, uh, for example, if you don't deliver more volume in the future, they're they're likely to try to claw back some of the the benefits that they agreed to. But uh, as things tend to do, if you... (laughs) The story is not like made up it's actually an important part of the 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 thing if you actually do have more cash you can put more into you know marketing experiments and that has the potential to drive more volume and grow faster as a result of all of these discussions one other very very important part of this negotiation when you're going through it again we're using the context of you're already dealing with this player that's a you know you're a couple years into you gotta have somebody who can be blamed, right? The good cop, bad cop is really relevant. And th- the truth is, if you have a CFO, they should be beating on you to get terms. They should be pounding on you to, you know, negotiate the FX. And so, if you don't have that person, you know, you can blame me if you want. But I like to blame the the finance guy in the back corner. And I'll even let the uh, you know the factory know. Hey, listen, it's not me it's this guy in the corner. He's just constantly annoying. me on, you know, the FX rate has fallen and gosh, you know, we, we should get, you know, uh, instead of freight on board, uh, CIF terms, right. Which, which moves the, their responsibility a little farther uh, towards, you know, our benefit Uh, we've got to have longer terms instead of, you know, 60 days, maybe we want 90 days from bill of lading. And all of these things are, really your finance department should be doing. If you lack a finance department, then then let Steve here uh, be your, your virtual finance department. And you could just say the crazy finance guy, Steve says, we got to have better terms. We got to have better, you know, FX um, analysis. And uh, in full disclosure, I, I've alluded to this earlier, but I want to say it explicitly. When you agree to an FX initial rate on a pricing agreement, that should be uh, adjusted, whether it's in your favor or against your favor. In other words, if you know everybody on the buy side is like, hey, the currency in China has dropped 10%, drop my price by 10%. But if the currency goes the other direction and the dollar weakens by 5%, then they should get an adjustment as well. So it, it actually should work both ways so that it's fair on kind of that global market basis. Now, again, there are many other points of negotiation in these types of discussions that I, I simply don't have time to get into. So there may be duties. There may be anti-dumping uh, duties. There may be tariffs like the Trump tariffs. There may be any number of other things that are relevant to one supplier, but not another supplier. And you have to really understand that, that global landscape of you know, who can offer you what, Under what conditions, and then what is the net resulting price? Uh, And so, uh, you know, again, I want to I want to be clear that if you have pressure, instead of just sending an email going, "I need a lower price," that is basically unsophisticated and will they can almost auto reply with any you know list of one and one thousand different reasons why that's a bad idea for them. You have to be more thoughtful. You have to be more methodical and professional. And say, if you can cooperate with us, if you can help us achieve this you know, financial outcome, whether it is terms or whether it's adjustments in your pricing due to real factors, that will benefit you as a factory with more volume. And then paint that picture in a true professional way. You'll find better results. Now, one other, um, I don't know, kind of oversight idea I want to give you. If you're thinking of, you know, buying from the factory, and you're having any sort of quality issues, those are part of the negotiation, right? How are you dealing with, you know, the costs of um, factory audits or extra inspections or uh, claims, right? You know, if you got a bunch of bad products, um, it may also include them paying for lab tests. If if you get a failure, you know, it's like, hey, the inspector says this is off spec. You disagree, we're sending it to a third-party lab, let them determine if it's, if it's off-spec or not. And then the, the loser pays and makes it right. Uh, there, there's uh, any number of variables in a negotiation, not just price, not just terms, uh, not just these individual obvious things like FX, exchange rates and, and the like. Now, I, I mentioned this early, and I just want to give you one additional tip or two here on this concept. When when they say their raw materials prices go have gone up, you should be able to validate that yes or no. For example, if your product is is oil based and the price of oil is running amok, that trickles down into all the oil byproducts, the you know the plastic pellets and you know all of the various things that they have to have. And so there is some reasonableness to, where you know if oil price are up twenty percent and FX is down ten, maybe it's a it's a win to just hold that price level. So, knowing your raw materials, you know, at the commodity base, what's happening there is really, really important. So, I, I do want to share with you that those commodities are cyclical like everything else. Last year we had some products we wanted to make out of copper, and the price of copper was a runaway train to the to the downside. Like it was just historically out of whack at the highest price that we've ever seen. And we had to kill those products, right? We're like, no, this is not the time to do a product in copper. Whereas this year, copper is crashing, right? And, and there are many other raw materials examples where the commodity is now being becoming cheaper and cheaper. <laughs> now, uh, as in all things, when you have crazy things like wars happening in countries, and then you know cutting off countries who are at war from the raw materials, the the raw materials that they supply become that much more um, problematic in terms of predicting their future price. So, so many, and I talked about this in the springtime, so many things that would come out of Russia normally that are core raw materials that you need to make a lot of products are not being shipped in many parts of the world. They are still coming into China to some extent, uh, perhaps even a large extent, but, there are disruptions in the supply chain. So when you are negotiating price, uh, you cannot be oblivious to those realities that exist. Uh, we had some suppliers in the, um, you know, the heart of last year that are like, you know, our cost of this, this wood pulp raw material is up 60%. And, in, in, you know, five or six weeks, we have to increase your price. And we would be foolish as buyers to not have empathy and understanding that, If your supplier doesn't make money, you know, at whatever kind of reasonable manufacturing margin basis there is, but if if they are losing money forever, that's terrible for you, right? They'll go out of business at some point. So your objective can't be to make an order from you be a penalty, right? They should be excited when they get an order from you, not because they're going to retire on that single order, but because this is another incremental order towards their Their success and your success, it's a mutual benefit to everyone when when you get it right. Uh, So the the foundation, again, on all of this is who's got the leverage and on what basis why. And if you guys, you know, if I get some feedback, um, you can send in feedback uh, through any of the social channels. But if you want a real masterclass where we show in, you know, exactly, you know, step one, new supplier, here's how we negotiate with them. Uh, or uh, maybe that's use case one. Use case two is, hey, here's an existing supplier. Here's how we negotiate with them. Um, we are happy to, to get into the details. It's just that is not um, a super succinct thing. It, it would take you know, several hours to really take you through all of those iterations. Uh, let's see. Final point. If you don't understand the true market price uh, for your product, whatever that product may be, then you are in a disadvantage that leverage has swung to your supplier and won't come back until you really understand your market price and have a you know a redundancy plan in place to switch product to another supplier when needed this is not me saying i don't value relationships or i don't want to keep factories long term but this is me saying i'm not naive and think that as i build a relationship that i am somehow you know uh, afforded some unique special pricing or special margin consideration from the factory. That's just not true. And I see a lot of, a lot of sellers, particularly e-commerce in the Amazon FBA space where they think, well, my supplier had their son come over and stay with me. And that was a great honor for me. And you know, my supplier sent me a gift and you know, how thoughtful they are. They really care about me or my supplier, you know, you know, sent me some masks when the pandemic started. Wasn't that a, a thoughtful thing to do? And there's any number of these other uh, nuanced and, and subtle little things that, that make people feel warm and fuzzy inside, but they are 100% manipulations. Don't you forget it. Now, it doesn't mean they're not sincere manipulations, right? Maybe they, they really do want to send you a gift because they like you, but they're, they're done for a precise reason. And as always, I will implore you, read the book, Poorly Made in China by Paul Midler. He's a brilliant author. It's well told. Uh, All the stories in there are, um, they didn't happen to me, but they feel like they did because I had many situations in there that are almost exact carbon copies of those stories. And so the, the, the lessons from that book are really, really important for you to consider and to think about in your negotiations, like, Uh, I, you know, in this book or, you know, I heard Steve say these clues and as I hear my supplier talking to me, I need to run it through the, 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 those filters, you know, you you now have more knowledge and more experience as a result of these things and see how you, how you feel about it, see what your gut tells you about it. And then you do a little bit of uh, the negotiation dance to figure out what's, what's true and what's false. Uh, Fundamentally negotiating is you know, an important thing, but finding some sort of outcome where they don't go out of business, but you, you know, uh, kind of get a better net, a tangible net, better benefit as a result is the way it should be as you grow. If uh, here's my disclaimer to this whole episode, now that you've gotten in this deep, if you have uh, kudos to you, number one. But let me just tell you: if you're buying a thousand units of a three-dollar item, and you try to get tough on negotiation, uh, or terms, or any of this other stuff, and it's a one-time purchase, you're not going to get very far. The, the the juice has to be worth the squeeze to the suppliers. This is all of this advice is oriented towards, you know, larger purchases. Let's say over a hundred thousand a year, certainly over a million a year from a single supplier on, on an ongoing basis. If you're just doing one-offs, then you should get multiple quotes and make your assessment based on, again, multi-dimensions, not just price, terms. I'm talking about Incoterms, you know, to the extent you can get, you know, credit terms, fine. But many times those types of deals, you, you don't have leverage because you're just giving them a commodity order. And so you should think of it like, you know, almost like going to the convenience store. You put the thing of milk on the counter you pay the price. You're pretty sure it's a fair price based on the market conditions. You get the stuff inspected and delivered to you, and you move on with your life. That's kind of a, a single over-the-counter type of relationship. Long-term, you know, ongoing business kind of relationship. That is where you get more nuanced and where you can uh, kind of get more into the the big picture. And I'll leave you with this: uh, Do not get tempted by suppliers to try to to monkey with commercial invoices and values and and anything that could send you to jail. (laughs) That's my advice. Uh, As always, my number one rule, oh, I got to use this hand. Number one rule, don't go to jail. Um, It's it's very common when people are trying to fight the reality of tariffs or anti-dumping or duties or this and that, that they want to get cute. Um, And I say, you can be clever, don't be cute. So, being clever is I negotiated on the the basis of you know what's fair and reasonable for all parties, and what's feasible in reality, and and I get what I get right. Being cute is oh uh, I'm going to label this uh, you know made in PRC instead of made in China because I think I've come up with this way of confusing people where this is made. That's cute and stupid. Um, it's not going to work. It's also illegal. Or you say, well, my supplier just said that they'll lower the commercial invoice and you know invoice me for uh, you know marketing fees on the other side. Cute, but long term that is a high risk for if you're a U.S. based person, especially. Uh, but if you're the importer of record, you have long term unending liability if Customs and Border Patrol, uh, the CBP, finds out that you were tricking. Uh, them on the value. So be clever, be smart about your business. Don't be cute though. It's just not worth it. That's it for me, everybody. I hope you found some value. If you did, go ahead, subscribe, like, click, share, save. I don't know what people do, but just do it for us and that'll uh, amplify the message and and help more people. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.